That's brilliant. So Sarah's explained what we're looking at today, where we're going, which is really helpful. So let's go for it. First slide, please. Chris, we're aiming uh, here to be a healthy and growing church, and that's great. That's not just for our own sakes and our own purposes, but that's so we can contribute to the great mission of God in the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, to bring us into that relationship with God, to help us to enjoy his salvation. And we're here to extend and demonstrate the love of Jesus to others. So it's not just for our own benefit, but we want to be a healthy and growing church to contribute to God's purposes in the world. And there's a picture of a church there. Um, I went to uh, an Anglican church many years ago in a village in Surrey called Hartney Wintney. And uh, they were very proud. The weekend was the centenary of their church. And uh, the host I was staying with said, here's a picture of our church with the congregation standing outside. And I very helpfully said, no, it isn't. He looked a bit nonplussed. Uh, I said, no, it isn't. That's a picture of your church with an old building behind it. And I'm not sure how pleased he was. We put the next slide up, Chris, but he wants to remind us that the church isn't about buildings. It's the people of God. And it's fantastic to be part of God's people and part of what God is doing in this world. And the church is not an accident. The church is not an afterthought. The church is a key part of God's master plan. That's why it's so important. It's not just about me and my personal faith and uh, I'm a solo saint and I'm finding my own pathway uh, into God's presence and into heaven. It's not just about me. God works in community and our faith is worked out in community. And sometimes the whole mindset we've got is it's about me and if it suits me, I'll go to something that I like that I can be bothered to be there, I can make a bit of time for, and benefits me. And our whole uh, ethos and our whole culture is very focused on me. But God's plan is community. God's plan is people being together, and that's why he invented the church. And just to underline that, the next slide, let's see these words, say these words together. It's not an afterthought, it's not an accident, but Ephesians 3, 9 to 11 I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus our lords so it's god's master plan and the powers and rulers of this earth and in the heavenly spiritual realm god is displaying his character and his purpose and his love and his heart through the church and it's so important to be part of that expression here on the earth but uh next slide chris you won't be surprised when i say i think we've, we get a bit of a bad press it's not all uh, good news about the church. You read the media or whatever. I don't know which of those signs that uh, appeals to you. Um, the church doesn't get a very good press, does it? And I think in the UK, uh, Alpha, the Alpha course that uh, many of us have done. Uh, what do you think about church? What do you think about Christianity? And people often say, oh, it's boring, it's irrelevant, it's untrue. 
and the church is getting marginalized and pushed to the edge of society. Church attendance is going down, people say. Why should we listen to the church? And if you do look at the stats, probably about 30 years ago, something like 5 million people were regular churchgoers in the UK. And now it's about 3, 3.5 million. So people say, numbers are going down. Why should we listen to the church? But in 1950, the membership of the Conservative Party was 3 million, and now it's 150,000. So why should we listen to politicians? You know, they criticize the church. There is a phenomenon that uh, large institutionalized groups are going down in terms of membership. So you don't want to listen to the church because it's gone down from 5 million to 3.5 million. But what about the political parties? Where are they at? And there was an article in the Times this week saying that it really seems that that decline has bottomed out. And for a number of years, uh, the church hasn't been declining in the UK. And I think often the stats are underreported as well because there's loads of different churches in schools and community centres uh, springing up all over the place. I think the church is much bigger than, than how it looks. But we've definitely got a bad press. We've definitely got a bad press. I read a book, a part of a book this week, uh, by an American pastor called Dan Kimball. And uh, he wrote this in uh, 2007. And the book's called They Like Jesus But Not the Church. And he was a young pastor trying to reach out to other people. And this was the kind of experiences he got. First of all, he joined a gym. And when he joined the gym, there was a woman in her mid-twenties, and she did the orientation of the gym with him. And they were chatting away. They both happened to like 80s pop music. It just happened to be their thing, his thing, and her thing as well. And they were talking about the Smiths, the Cure, and Susie and the Banshees, and all that kind of stuff. And she loved that as well. And they got chatting, and he, she went around all the equipment and everything. And then she finished, and she said, well, what job do you do? And he kind of took a deep breath, and he said, I'm a church pastor. How did she react? Well, she took two steps back, tripped over the legs of the machine, and said, no effing way, you're a pastor. I don't believe you. He took the next five or ten minutes to convince her, that he was a pastor. And they said, well, what do you think pastors are like? And she said, pastors are creepy. They try to proselytize you to become right-wing Republican. They hate homosexuals and they don't like good music. <laughs> he asked her if she knew any pastors. And she said, no. <laughs> he went from the gym to a coffee shop. And if you do frequent gyms, you know you have to work off the effect of the gym in the coffee shop afterwards. <laughs> And he went to a coffee shop in Minnesota and met uh, a young uh, couple, university students, and they were interested in Kabbalah and ancient magic and spiritualism. And they had this long conversation. And then eventually, in the course of the conversation, he told them that he was a Christian. How did they react? He says this, When I told them I was a Christian, it felt like I just told them I had a terminal disease. They looked sad for me. They felt sympathy, like they were thinking, Oh, that's too, too bad, you poor guy. Those were his two experiences at the gym and the coffee shop. And people have those attitudes. But do we believe our publicity? I hope not. Do we believe our... I really hope not. I love the church. Flawed as it is, the church is wonderful. It's making a phenomenal contribution to the world. In this country, it was reckoned that a third of all social care... Uh, is given by the church, and that's worth billions of pounds every year. There's a massive volunteer uh, army 
that are doing work socially and economically, and it's wonderful. And on top of that, spiritually, I think the church is making a huge difference, and people don't appreciate that. But if you imagine if the church was taken completely away from our nation, what would it look like? What would it feel like? What would it be like spiritually? It would be very frightening. I think it would be very dark and very ugly if the church was off the scene. So it's economically, it's socially, but it's very, very fundamentally spiritually. We're here to demonstrate the power of God to the principalities and powers around. There was um, uh, a TV program years ago called Second Coming with Christopher Eccleston in, and uh, it was about Jesus coming back again again. Uh, and rather the second coming, as we know, of Jesus coming in glory and everything changing. He kind of sneaked back into the earth and he looked like an ordinary bloke and he ends up in Manchester for some strange reason. And he meets up with Mary Magdalene who poisons him. So yeah, wonderful BBC dramas. But at the end of it, you see him dying again. He's kind of coughing on this poison. He's drunk and he dies. And then everyone's like, great, we killed him. Isn't this wonderful? And then he kind of pans around the streets and that. God's dead. Isn't life great? And I just watched it and thought, that would be so frightening if God and goodness and the Holy Spirit and the power of love and spiritual truth and reality was wiped out. That wouldn't be something to celebrate. That would be so frightening. The church is so important economically, socially, politically, and spiritually. Bill Hybels, leader of a big church in America, says the, church, the local church is the hope of the world. So we get bad press, but I think it's so important. We're part of God's master plan. Next slide, please, Chris. Sam's Triangle, we want to be a healthy and growing church. And uh, as Sarah explained earlier, um, we're going to look at and concentrate on in today. Sam looked it up last week. You can listen to that on the website. Dara is looking out next week, so I don't want to steal his thunder, but we're focusing on in today. Actually, you can't really separate those. I think a lot of the action happens in the middle of the triangle. Uh, If you want to be out for God, you've got to be up connecting with him, and we've got to stand together in, in fellowship. But I want that to be our focus today. And we've got one more reading. It's about the early church. It's about the birth of the church from Acts chapter 2. So let's read these words together. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that's the marvelous description of the birth of the church. And there's richness there. It's not boring. It's not irrelevant. 
And if you look at what's on the menu of church life, just in that one passage, there's teaching, there's Bible preaching, Bible study. We're meant to be a learning community, getting hold of the wisdom of God. And uh, Sam was holding up his Bible last week, so I thought I'd got to compete with him and hold up my... My Bible's not as big as his Bible, but it equally looks well used, and it's got uh, tape stuck around the edges to show that I've read it. But you could have a lifetime trying to get into the truth that God has given us in the words of the Bible. And you don't commit intellectual suicide by following faith. It's a goldmine to explore. We're meant to be a learning community, learning the words of God. It's about fellowship, not about loneliness and isolation, but connecting lives together. It's about breaking bread, having communion together, together, celebrating what Jesus has done for us. It's about praying together, united in prayer, not just be praying away privately, but committed to the prayers together as a community. There's miracles there, healing and signs and wonders. Signs point to Jesus and wonders give us a sense of awe that God is healing people today in our midst. There's huge generosity there, that willing sacrifice, selling your stuff to give to someone that is needing the basics in life. Huge generosity and willing sacrifice and sharing to meet the needs of others. There's worship, vibrant worship going on. There's hospitality, breaking bread from house to house. And there's new people coming to know Jesus day by day by day. And it's all ushering in the kingdom of, this, uh, kingdom of this world will soon become the kingdom of our God and his Christ. And we will reign with him forever and ever. And it's, it's part of God's master plan. It's exciting. There's loads on the agenda. There's loads on the menu. And we want to celebrate it and be part of it and extend it and welcome others in. I don't know about you, I wasn't brought up to go to church. It was a new kind of discovery uh, for me. I didn't really darken the doors of a church till I was 16 or 17. But it's, it's brilliant. I haven't got away ever since then. So it's not something I just grew up with and got stuck with. It's something that when I put my heart and faith in Jesus, he led me to, to join the church a couple of years after that. And we need to value it. We need to value it. We need to make the most of it. We need to become what God has called us to be, his community of faith that's going to make a wonderful difference to this world and to the universe. It says there they devoted themselves to fellowship. And then it describes some of the characteristics of their fellowship life. I don't know about you, fellowship sounds a bit like a kind of quaint, old-fashioned word to me. Uh, The Greek word is koinonia, and apparently koinos means common. We share something in common. We share something together deeply. Koinonos is partner. We're partnering together in a great venture. And koinonio is to share. So fellowship is about common life together. It's about community. We're partnering with one another. We're working out the purposes of God. We're sharing together our time, our concern, our energies, our passions, our gifts, our abilities, our money, our homes, We're sharing together and building community, and we've all got something to contribute. It's a fantastic project that God has begun and we're part of. I want to look at a few aspects in the last uh, few minutes that we've got about our community life together. 
And a few things that have struck me, and one, the next one, is it's a healing community. It makes a real difference to people's lives. I've asked a couple of people to come. Hi. Um, I love the church as well because I, I, th- I think that God does so much through the church that we don't realise. Um, when I first came along to this church, as it was years ago, uh, I, I didn't even know that you could have inner healing, and yet I experienced it. And that was massive to me. You wouldn't have seen it from the outside, but I knew what was going on, on the inside. The other thing was, uh, what I really wanted to say was, though, about um, how God educates us through the church. Um, m- my dad died when I was four years old, so I grew up never knowing what it was like to have a dad around. didn't really bother me. It just wasn't a dad around. Later on in life, uh, I ended up with four children, two sons and two daughters. And as they were, were, when they were young, I suddenly realized I don't really know what a dad's supposed to do. So what I did was I kind of looked around that I thought were good examples and picked the good bits out of other, other dads and thought, there you go. But at that time, there was a lot of teaching from our church leaders about what parents sh- should be like, how parents should love their children and show that. And um, now, if, if you were to ask my older brothers and sister did my dad ever tell them that they love them, give them a cuddle and a kiss, they would just fall about laughing. That just never happened. That was not on the agenda. Um, But our church leaders were saying that we should do that, and and to all our children, but especially fathers to their sons. There's a special significance about that somehow or other. So we love our daughters as well, but, but particularly our sons. And so I took up the habit from early years to um, say to my kids as we got to the garden, uh, sorry, the school gates, primary school, fair lawn in Honor Oak, um, have I told you today that I love you? Yes, Dad. Yes, Dad. And why am I telling you? Because you always want us to know that you love us. Great. Okay. And I'd give them a kiss and they'd toddle off into their classes. Sometimes we went on holidays, we'd be uh, on the tarmac in the aeroplane. I said, I would say, um, have I told you that I love you in England? Yes, Dad. Um, and when we get in the air, I say, have I told you that I love you in the air? And they would say, yeah, Dad. And when we got to the uh, destination, have I told you that I love you in Austria? Yeah, Dad. And why have I told you? Because you always want us to know that you love me. Great. And, and it went on like that until one day, um, I took Christian, my oldest son, to school, gave him a kiss, told him I love you. He said, don't do that anymore, Dad, please. Okay, enough's enough. So I don't tend to kiss the boys anymore. I still kiss the girls. But all I would say is that um, our relationship is good. We're all going on holiday together at the end of this month. We still quite like each other. Um, but I, I really honestly thank God that through the... Ch- I didn't know what a dad was supposed to do. But one thing a dad is supposed to do is to love his children and, to, and particularly his sons and to express that. So if that helps you, great, because it really helped me. Of God, the church, a very healing thing. It's an international community as well. Next slide, which is really, really good. Uh, we just had those testimonies. It's Bulgaria 2, England 1. But it's good that there's loads of people here from different nations of the world. That's so rich, isn't it? When you read Acts 2 before this, who was in the church? And you look earlier on, it says, they were in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Prigia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome, Cretans and Arabs. So a huge mix of people. And I think it's wonderful that the church is an expression 
of God's heart of love for the whole world. I really, really appreciate that here. I was just thinking of a few stories about the international flavor of the church. Many years ago, I went on a mission trip with a friend of mine to uh, former Yugoslavia when it was a communist nation and it wasn't split up into the different nations it is now. And uh, you had to be very much under the radar as Christians, and the few Christians in the nation felt they were under threat of persecution, under arrest. And we met up with some uh, uh, serbo croat I don't know if they're Serbian or Croatian, uh, local Christians, and we traveled with them. And, uh, and then they said, there's this couple down in Dubrovnik we want you to visit. Uh, we just had their names, we didn't know much about them, and we knew they hardly spoke any English. Uh, but they wanted us to go and see them and see how they were doing. So me and my friend got this boat, uh, and on the boat down from Split to Dubrovnik, we met uh, a couple of German Christian women. So we, we met up with them and took them with us as well. And then we arrived and met this couple. And so there was a, a Croatian couple, two British guys and two German girls meeting together as an expression of church. We had a slight problem because... We couldn't speak English, the other people. And then we had this kind of brainwave that there's lots of useful things in the Bible. So we got our Bibles out uh, and picked verses. And they got their uh, Serbo-Croat Bible out and German Bibles out. And you could pick a verse like, May the love of God bless you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be towards you. And you couldn't say that in their language, but you could point it out and they could read it. Oh, thank you very much. And they picked a verse for you. So we were very much an international family. And it was fantastic how you could communicate as a people of God worldwide. It's also, I think, a deep community. And a verse that struck me this week was Romans 12, verse 15. And it says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And I thought about that uh, word and thought, why do I love the church? There's lots of little things uh, and small events, but some of the big things in life I've had the privilege of sharing in deep fellowship with others in the church. Thinking back over the years, first of all, in the weep with those who weep bit. A man called Trevor, uh, a number of us know, uh, and he had cancer, seemed to recover, and a few years later it spread again. And uh, he was in his mid-50s, and it didn't seem to be going away. Now, I think at the time, years ago, I thought mid-50s was old, and I don't anymore. But uh, just seeing how he was in that situation, and he just said to me, I'm in a win-win situation. If I'm healed, I get to stay with my family and carry on my work here in this world. And if I die, I get to be with the Lord in his presence in heaven. It's a win-win situation. And the way he handled himself in that situation was such an amazing witness and a privilege to be part of a church where you can meet people like that and share at those critical times of life. Uh, there are many, many people over the years. One other guy, Mark, who was part of the fellowship here, we met through our outreach on the, the streets. And he met the Lord and lived for another four years, which was much longer than the doctors expected. But I was with him in the last part of his life. He's actually the only person I've ever seen actually die. Uh, my dad died four years ago, but I wasn't in London uh, at the moment he died. He's the only man I've ever seen actually at the moment of death, when he stopped breathing, was a friend through the church here. 
and it's hard and you weep but what a privilege to be in life and sharing together with people like that another couple i remember uh, a young couple and uh, they're expecting their first uh, child and then after a while they discovered it was twins uh, and that was great uh, and then i came back from a mission week and Yvonne said, there's a problem, you need to contact them. Uh, so I did. And everything had been fine, got to 20 weeks of pregnancy, and then gone into unexpected labour. And when I got to the hospital, uh, the babies had been born, and they're both dead at 20 weeks. And so I was there to see these two young lives, and this couple in their devastation. I'll never forget the funeral. Um, we we did a burial for them, just carrying two little white coffins and putting them in a grave at Grove Park Cemetery. Hard things, things that make you weep, and some people think, I want to avoid stuff like that. But it's been a huge privilege to be part of church community and walk with people through really, really hard and painful parts of life. There's also rejoicing with those who rejoice, and that's been exciting as well. Uh, a marriage can be a time of great rejoicing. I remember a friend of ours who'd always wanted to get married, finally got married at the age of 47, which was great for the first time. Uh, and she'd had lots of friends over the years, and she'd been a very kind of sociable person and got very close to a number of her friends, and her friends had got married and had children. And she spent time in their families. And every family she was closely related to, she said to the girls, oh, when I get married, you can be my bridesmaid. And then nothing happened for a few years. She got close to another family. When I get married, you can be my bridesmaid. So when she got married at 47, she had 12 bridesmaids <laughs> that she collected from various families of friends over the years. But fantastic celebration. Childbirth is another exciting thing. It's been exciting to have two children born in this fellowship this week. I've got friends called Hugo and Sharon, and they both found out after they got married that uh, it looked like neither of them could have children. So it wasn't a great uh, situation. It wasn't just one of them with a problem, but uh, the medics thought they both had massive problems in conceiving. They were Christian leaders, and they processed it. They had prayer. Nothing happened. Uh, and they felt it very, very deeply. But they decided to kind of help other people by writing a book. And they wrote a book called Some Mothers Do Have Them, Others Don't. And they wanted to share how they felt about having this diagnosis, finding the problem, and realizing that even though they wanted children, they would never have them. Just before the book was published, she got pregnant. <laughs> uh, and 20 years later, they got three children and uh, contributed to the baby boom. But it's to the rejoicing uh, with them. In that you both can't have children. Okay, we accept that. Let's write a book about it. And then they get uh, three children, and they're so blessed by God. And other situations, thinking of people that have had cancer, people in this church, and they get the all clear, and you're celebrating that with them. That's absolutely fantastic. And... Uh, just so many people. I remember one uh, woman who uh, was uh, living with a guy for many years. And uh, she thought, where's this relationship going? She'd become a Christian. He wasn't interested. Um, but she didn't want to break up the relationship. But she knew it just couldn't carry on just living together. And so she said, look, we, yeah, we can't just go on like this. I think we need to, to get married. Uh, 
uh, and he kind of agreed. But then she thought, oh, I'd love to marry a Christian. You know, I've been with this guy for years. It's the right thing to get married, but I'd love it if he was a Christian. Four days before the wedding, he became a Christian. And so they, they shared their faith together in their marriage. So many things that have been so wonderful to experience over the years. So fellowship, church community is so rich. Weep with those who weep. That's hard. It's not easy, but it's a huge privilege. And rejoice with those who rejoice. And that's wonderful. A couple more things, then we'll close. Another thing that I've thought about this week is a great generosity. And people give in the church, people give financially. And it's great to see people giving in need. People that have been unemployed, people have been really struggling. And other people have given money to help them through. And that's wonderful. And for my own self, my sabbatical this year, I know you gave uh, to help make that happen. I want to thank you again uh, for that. Thank you for your generosity. And I remember years ago when we had a, a really difficult time, a number of people in this church in a previous incarnation put money together and we were able to go on a great holiday because of that generosity. It's wonderful just to be part of God's community. God's heart is a heart of love. God's heart is a heart of generosity. And when you experience that, when you can uh, reciprocate a bit, when you receive his generosity, it's absolutely fantastic. So I want to conclude by saying I think it's really, really, really worth investing in the church, playing your part in it, celebrating being part of God's family, weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. And again, in our culture, there's very much a consumer mentality and people are saying that's kind of very much uh, taking hold in the church that, yeah, I'll, I'll go to a church and get what I want and then if I don't find it there after a while, I'll go to another one and get something there and I'll dump those people and go somewhere else. It's about me consuming what I want, what I feel I need. And there's an entertainment culture. I want to sit there and watch and maybe you know, grade it and give marks out of 10 to the people at the front. But those kind of attitudes, I don't think, should govern us. It's family. It's commitment together. It's a wonderful community. I remember uh, a guy, a uh, church leader, said this years ago. He said, blood is thicker than water. What does that mean? Blood is thicker than water. Family is, is a very important thing. And then he said a phrase that I was struck by. He said, blood is thicker than water. Spirit is thicker than blood. And I've kind of thought about that. I've been struck by it. And I kind of agree with it and I don't agree with it. And in one sense... Uh, it's not true because family is going to take you through life. Family is really key. And the way we move around these days, you know, you'd be part of a church and then God might move you on. You're part of a church somewhere else. But the family is a constant. So in some ways, I think that's not true. And sometimes church lets you down and you feel they haven't supported me. But in other ways, it can be really, really true that spirit can be even thicker than blood, that people from broken families people that are struggling, people that uh, are isolated, people that have been abused, can find healing in the people of God. 
and spirit can be even thicker than blood. Blood is thicker than water. Spirit is thicker than blood. It's possible for our relationships in the body of Christ to be so deep they can carry us through in a way that even family can't. So let's invest in it. There are three T's of investment. One is treasure. So we need to put our money into the church. It costs money to gather together as a community and to do things in the purposes of God. And money represents our time, our efforts, our toil. And talking to people with different jobs, that can be a real pain that you endure to be rewarded with some money at the end of the month. Invest some of that. That's a wonderful thing. And things that we celebrate, like food bank, uh, I know a lot of stuff being kind of on the inside. And I know that someone who shall remain nameless uh, took £3,000 out of the bank account and put it into food bank so that we could start it. An individual who wanted to be completely anonymous. Investment of money can be crucial. I think we need to invest our talents as well. Uh, Our talents in our work skills, they're very useful to the kingdom of God. Our talents in terms of our spiritual understanding, we can invest in other people and help them develop and grow in their faith. And in our baby boom as a church, it's been great that Yvonne and Pippa have been using their skills in midwifery and training in NCT to support families in this church. It's wonderful where there's that crossover. And Chris sitting here uh, used to keep Lewisham Hospital running, and he's retired now. So on this Friday, what were we doing? Uh, He went round to the house at Mallam Road, and he was fixing the pipes under the sink, uh, and he was putting a bed together for one of the new students to arrive. And then we, went, we got another call, went back in the afternoon because the big old lead soil stack at the front of the, the house had suddenly collapsed on itself at the top with this huge bang. and was kind of this five foot of lead was hanging off the top of this stack. So where's Chris? Chris is out there hanging out the window, lassoing this uh, uh, lead piping and then me and Joe pulling it off uh, the wall so it doesn't drop on someone's head. You can use your talents whether it's your skills from work or it's your spiritual uh, talents, you can use them to benefit the community of God. So treasure, talents, and then time. You do need to invest time in what we're doing. It's a horrible thing, isn't it? Everyone, oh, time. I can give you a bit of money, but not my time, please. It's very difficult. A lot of us feel we're very much time poor. Uh, but I think... We do need to invest our time, aren't we? There's some people that nag me. They nag me because other people are late. Uh, And, you know, maybe we don't run exactly by the clock. uh, But you can make the most of it by coming on time and being together. I'm never going to rant at the front of church about that. There was a woman that used to be part of our church. She went to another church. Her husband wasn't a Christian. She had three small kids and uh, this guy, this vicar, was a, a bit annoyed at people coming late. And he decided to have a rant at the front of church about people being five minutes late. And he did. And this woman had got to church and she was 15 minutes late. Her husband wasn't a Christian. She got the three screaming kids ready, got to church, walked in. And the vicar was having a rant about people being late. She never went back again to that church so I would never do that but we need to make priority of being together don't we and uh, we can make the most of our time 
if we see it as much more of a priority. It's really, really important. There are different cultures. I went to Nigeria a few years ago, and I remember saying one morning, uh, when are we leaving for church? They said 10 o'clock. I said, how long will it take us to get there? And they said about half an hour. So half 10. Then I said, well, when does the service start? They said 9.30. Okay, we're leading and speaking in this service, and we won't get there till an hour after it started. But there are different cultures. But uh, we have a caretaker in this building who wants to lock up at 1 o'clock. So uh, we need to give time, I think. There's also one thing that I've heard twice this year. Uh, it's the myth of quality time. The myth that we like quality time. We want to spend that precious half an hour of real quality. We want our life to be quality time and make the most of it. And two people have said it's actually a bit of a myth because you, you get your quality moments in the midst of quantity time sometimes. So even though we're time poor, even though we're pressured, even though we feel the responsibility, as well as investing our treasure, as well as investing our talents, we do need to give our time to God and each other and his community because that's the way it will be built up. And the final bit of Acts 2 is if we do that, if we honour God and his community, we missed the slide. Sorry, I didn't tell you. And the last one. And the Lord added to their number. <laughs> and that's happening. We've actually, I thought that was a perfect photo. We've had six babies so far this year, just in this little church. But the Lord added to their numbers those who are being saved. So let's, let's celebrate. Let's be part of church that's part of God's wonderful master plan.